Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. In the last 40 years or so, a lot of studies have indicated that the way you see yourself determines in large measure how you act and react in life. That your self-perception, your self-worth, your self-esteem tends to be a governing factor in your life. So if you see yourself as a loser, you end up in large measure acting like a loser. If you see yourself as a victim, you tend to be victimized by others. If you see yourself as uncreative, then you tend not to look for creative ideas. You simply are setting yourself up to be who you are. Likewise, if you see yourself as successful, you tend to repeat successes you've had in the past. This is not a new discovery. Thousands of years ago, the Bible said in a kind of King James way, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. The Bible teaches very clearly that your belief determines your behavior. And that belief that you have about yourself goes back to childhood. Now, unfortunately, some or many of those beliefs are erroneous. They're false. Do you remember as a kid going to a fun house at a carnival and you get to that point where you're standing in front of mirrors that make you look weird, short, big, skinny? What you are doing is looking at these mirrors that gave you a distorted image of yourself. Well, because you grew up with imperfect people, and I guarantee you're an imperfect person and so is everyone else, then we get distorted images of ourselves. Today, I want to look at what God has to say about you. We're in a study of the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Peter is writing to discouraged believers who are taking heavy hits to their self-esteem because they're being persecuted, fed to lions, hounded out of towns throughout the Roman Empire. So Peter, in chapter 1, reminds them of what God has done for them, and that gives them encouragement. In chapter 2, he needs to remind them and us what God has to say about you. He's going to mention in our passage today several titles, characteristics, analogies of who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. We're going to see our focus on those in a few moments. Our passage again, this is 1 Peter chapter 2, and it begins at verse 4. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, another name for Jerusalem, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This list of descriptions in verse 9, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, were at one time used for Israel alone, but now belong to us all. Each of these descriptions, by the way, deserve a full-length message on their own. They are so packed with meaning, but the bottom line is this passage has something to say about you. And for our purposes today, I'm going to teach on three of those four, noting that a holy nation we kind of touched on last week when the word holy was used and we talked about the meaning of that is to be set apart. So as a holy nation, we are set apart as God's people for His use. But we'll talk about the other three and we'll also talk about something at the end of this passage. So here we go. As a part of God's family, number one, you are acceptable. See if this isn't true of you. You can spend your entire life trying to earn acceptance. You want to earn it from your parents, peers, spouse, from people you respect, from people you envy. The desire to be accepted drives you to do all kinds of things. It can influence the clothes you wear, the car you buy, even the career choice you make. Some people do the craziest things to be accepted. Maybe you remember as a kid wanting to be with the in crowd so badly that all someone had to say is, I dare you to do this, and you would do that. And you would do something that was so stupid or or even could lead to some personal harm But you did it because your desire to be accepted overruled your thinking. You know we love feeling okay, that someone has chosen me, accepted me. You remember playing team sports as a kid growing up. It was time then to divide into teams. The two best players were captains, and then the selection started. And if you're one of the first to be chosen, how good that felt On the other hand, if it got down to the last two or three and you're one of those, how bad that felt. When you are chosen, that does wonders for your self-esteem. So one of the first things Peter says is you are a chosen people. You've been chosen by God. In other words, Christ accepted you and there's no condition given. Christ's acceptance of you is not based on your performance. It's not based on anything you've earned. Many of you have received Christ and accepted Jesus into your life. But do you realize that Jesus Christ has accepted you? You do nothing to earn it. You don't have to do anything to prove your worth to God. Now, some of you may have been led to think, look, I've got a pretty unpleasurable God up there. I've got to be this perfect angel to be accepted. No. He's already accepted you. That's the good news. So number one, you are acceptable. And number two, you matter. Peter arrives at that by referring to us as royal priests, that 
God is declaring you and I to be priests. Now, depending upon your background, that might be a little scary. It might be a little confusing. Peter is saying that the two benefits priests of the Old Testament had are now available to all believers. So in the Old Testament, priests primarily did two things. First, they had the right, privilege, and responsibility to go directly to God. They could pray to God, talk to God, fellowship with God. Everyone else had to go through the priests. But the priest had this one-on-one with God. The second thing priests primarily did is that they had the privilege and responsibility of representing God to the people. So serving and ministering to the needs of the people on behalf of God. So Peter is saying that these same rights and responsibilities are now afforded you as a believer. So that means, number one, you get to go directly to God. You don't have to pray through anyone else. You don't have to confess through anyone else. You don't have to have fellowship with God through anyone else. That means you have a direct line, as much of a right to go to God as I or anyone else does. So read your Bible. Talk with the Lord. Fellowship with Him. And second, the Bible says that you have been gifted ministry to serve others. That means that every Christian is a minister, not a pastor, but a minister. Anytime you're using your talents and gifts to help other people, you're ministering. You say, now, how do I know what my ministry is? Well, you look at your talents, your gifts, your abilities. You look at how God has worked in your life to shape who you are. God wants you to use those gifts and abilities to help other people. And every time you do that, that's called ministry. Nothing fancy, scary, or supernatural about it. It's simply helping others. So can you be a priest in an office? You bet you can. Can you be a priest as an accountant? Yes. Can you be a priest as a truck driver? Sure. Anytime you're helping other people in His name, you're doing ministry. Now, make no mistake, you and I are necessary parts of this family, this spiritual household of God. If I don't use my talents, you get cheated. If you don't use your talents, everyone else gets cheated. We're all important. We're all necessary, doing our part as we fit together. You see, when you build a building with stones... And you take out one of those stones and you say, well, that's not important. Of course it's important. There's a hole there. Every one is needed. You need every stone. There is this epidemic of low self-esteem in America today. We are in such a put-down society. Many people don't feel good about themselves. Some of you are highly successful. But inside is this gnawing question of, do I matter? Even though you are successful. You see, once you discover your ministry, your spiritual gifts, abilities, and talents, and begin to use your life the way God intended for you to, you find your ministry and you say, you know, besides being in a relationship with God, this is what God made me for. Then your self-esteem begins to soar. You think, that's why I'm here on earth. I do matter. So you are acceptable. You matter. The third thing you need to know as a part of God's family is you are valuable. How much do you think you're worth? Now, I'm not talking net worth. I'm talking about self-worth. 
Don't ever confuse your valuables with your value as a person. You can be rich or poor. That has nothing to do with your value as a person. What determines value? Well, there are two things that determine value in life. Number one, value depends on what someone is willing to pay for something. So you want to know how much your house is worth? It's worth how much someone is willing to pay for it. How much is a baseball card worth? Well, to some of us, nothing. But for some baseball cards, people will pay thousands of dollars for. I heard about this one pair of worn-out, smelly shoes that sold for $7,000 at an auction. All because they were owned by a fellow named Michael Jordan. You see what I'm doing there? I'm setting this up for the second thing of value. That value in life depends upon who owned it in the past. For example, a car owned by someone famous, let's say Elvis Presley, for example, is going to be a whole lot more valuable than something owned by me. Or a guitar owned by John Lennon. So based on these two determining factors, what something is being paid for and what it was used in the past, who had it? Based on those two determining factors, what's your value? Well, let me have you ask yourself, who owns me? What was paid for me? The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians that you were bought with a price. Peter said the same thing last week, that you were paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. You belong to him. So how much are you worth? Peter says, you are God's own possession. You belong to God. And what was paid for you? Jesus paid for you with his life. God exchanged his own son for you. The cross proves your value. God says, I love you this much. You're valuable. You're so valuable that God exchanged his son's life for you. Now, imagine your worth. Peter says you're a child of God, and no one has ever paid a greater ransom price than what God has paid for you. Remember, Peter told us in verses 4 and 5 that God is having this building project going on and that you're a part of it. He's building the family of God, the church, and you're one of the stones. And he says in verse 4, come to him, the living stones rejected by humans. Now, who is the living stone? It's Jesus. He was perfect, yet many still have rejected him. So don't feel like you have to be perfect in order to be accepted by him. God is building his church. The foundation and cornerstone of the spiritual building is Jesus Christ. We're talking about building, and we know how valuable a foundation is when it comes to building. So let me ask you, what are you building your life upon? You see, Jesus is the rock of our salvation. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the one who is fitting everything together in this building. And Peter says that you are living stones. Now, we don't tend to think of a stone as something that has life. 
But when you give your life to Christ, you become a building block in God's great plan. And so, yes, you become a living stone. Now, there's one more thing you need to know. Your self-esteem is constantly in flux. One day you feel good about yourself, not so much the next day. Why is that? Because you're a human being. You make mistakes, you blow it, you sin, and when you blow it, you don't feel good about yourself. So Peter says there's one more thing that God needs to say about you. And it's the last four words from our passage. You have received mercy. In other words, you are forgivable. Some of you really need to hear that. Because even though you're a believer, you think whenever you're having problems, it's because God is getting even with you. It's like the guy who was driving up Grandfather Mountain when it began to snow. And so he stops his car and starts to put chains on the tires. He has moved away from his car just for a moment. And at that very instance, another car has rounded a corner, didn't see him, pushed his car off the side. He lost his car. So then he begins to walk the rest of the way up through now snowing and sleeting. He catches a cold. He gets up to the top of the grandfather mountain only to see that his cabin that he was headed for has almost burned to the ground. He walks up to the one remaining wall and starts to beat his head against it. And he says, why me, God? At that moment, the heavens parted. And a voice thunders because some people just tick me off. Some of you truly believe that's the way God feels about you. You think whenever you've got a problem, it's because God is ticked off with you. But let me ask you, does the Bible really teach that God treats his children that way? No. Listen to Isaiah 43, verse 25. This is the Lord speaking. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. God doesn't hold a grudge. If you're in Christ, you've received him as Savior. Romans 8, 1 tells us there is now no condemnation. God doesn't rub it in, He rubs it out. God doesn't rehearse it, He releases it. Does that mean you're perfect? No. It means that you're covered with His love. If you confess your sin, God says, I'm not going to hold that against you. You never need to ask, will God love me today? His love is consistent, His love is unconditional. One final thought. You may be wondering, well, what do I do in response? Peter, in our passage, puts it simply. Proclaim his mighty acts. Praise God for what he has done. Praise him for who he is. Proclaim him before all people. Proclaim him with your lips and with your lives. So the next time someone asks you, who do you think you are? You tell them. I am acceptable, I matter, I am valuable, I am forgivable. You know, if it's true that your self-esteem is determined by a large degree, 
from the people or person that matters most to you and what they think of you, then let me suggest that you make Jesus Christ the most important person in your life. Because what he says about you is that you are acceptable, you matter, you're valuable, you're forgivable. And Jesus Christ proves that for us. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.